morning church. Hello. Um, my name is Rainbow and today I'm going to be reading from 1 John chapter 2 verse 18 to chapter 3 verse 10. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no liar comes from the truth. Who is a liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I am writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him. So that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But what we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning, because they have been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not, know, does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Uh, let me tell you an important truth. 
here's an important truth. We live in a world full of lies. We live in a world full of lies. There's the lies of the skin care products when they say that their skin cream can reduce wrinkles and take away lines overnight. That's not true, other than a bit of brief swelling. They can't actually do that because they don't go deep enough into the dermal layers. If you don't know what that means, talk to one of the doctors, they'll explain. See, it's a lie. They tell us it does that, but it doesn't. It's a lie. There's the lie that money makes you happy. So the more money you have, the happier you'll be. But when you look at the, the richest people in the world, you see how defensive, how uncertain, how unhappy and insecure they are. Even with all the extraordinary luxuries they have, you see how often they have broken relationships and deep unhappiness. It's a lie. Then there's the lies of fake news, whether about COVID vaccines or anything else. Just lies are everywhere. And there's the great lie that you can have it all. We live in a world full of lies. And lies are dangerous. Whoa. Lies are dangerous because they assure us that we have the truth while they actually inoculate us against the truth. Lies are very dangerous. And that's true when it comes to theological lies, lies about God, lies about Jesus. In 1 John chapter 2, John reminded us of who we are and what we have as God's dear children. That is, our sins are forgiven and we know Jesus, so we know the Father. God's word lives in us and we have overcome the devil. And John challenges us to, to live as God's children by not loving the world, but instead loving God and loving each other. And now having warned us against the danger of love, that is love for the world, now John warns us against the danger of lies. Lies about Jesus. Lies about Jesus. To do that, what John does is John plays a game of us and them. He begins by talking about them, and the them are the antichrists. Which sounds a bit weird, but we'll see if we can understand it, okay? So come over to chapter 2, verse 18, as Rainbow read just before. Chapter 2, verse 18. Have a look there with me. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the antichrist is coming, even now many antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. Please notice that important word, antichrists. That is not just the antichrist, but antichrists. Not just a single figure, but actually a whole bunch of people. And well, the first thing we know about these antichrists is that they are anti-Christ. You get that? You complicated, but run with me. Okay? They are anti-Christ. By definition, they are who they are people who at their core are anti-Jesus, opposed to Jesus. Anti-Christ. Now, verse 18 says that they have come. But where are they from? Well, have a look at verse 19. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they, that their going showed that none of them 
belong to us. Do you get what's happened? The Antichrist have been part of this Christian fellowship. The Antichrist were former church members of the church, the people of God, to whom John writes. But now they've left. They've left the church, they've left the community. And John tells us why. But did you notice how many times John uses that us and them language, even just in verse 19? Actually, really, it's they and us, but you get what I'm saying. And what point is he making? John is making the point that there's a fundamental difference between his readers, those who've stayed, and the Antichrist, those who have left. And there are three words in verse 19 that make this point really clear, make it very clear. Notice this, it's belonged to us. Belonged to us. In fact, let's read verse 19 again. They went out from us because they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would remain with us. But they don't show that none of them belonged to us. Those are really important words. They didn't belong. But notice John, who's not part of the church but is writing to the church, he doesn't say they didn't belong to you, the church. They didn't belong to us. Bigger than just this local church. That's a really helpful comment because he's not just saying that they didn't belong to a particular church. That actually might raise questions about whether the church leaders had become a bit controlling or the music was a bit boring or the sector were a bit hard or the services were too long or whatever it might be. No, no, John's not saying any of that stuff. He's saying, no, there's a much deeper reality going on here. A much more fundamental issue. They didn't belong to us. Who's the us? Let's go back to chapter 1, verse 9. I'm not going to put it on the PowerPoint. You can see it uh, in your own Bibles. Chapter 1, verse 3. Chapter 1, verse 3. Back in chapter 1, verse 3, look at who the us is. So chapter 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. That is, John's readers are connected to, they belong with, the apostles as true believers. And through the word of the apostles, John and the others, they're connected to Jesus. They belong to Jesus by faith. Okay, great. And through Jesus, they're connected to the Father, and so they belong to the Father. So John is saying that the Antichrists didn't belong to that whole posse, that whole group, that whole alliance. They didn't belong to us. They didn't truly belong to God. And that's why those people, that's why the Antichrist left. They left God's people because they didn't belong to God's people because they didn't belong to God. Now, of course, that's not saying, just to be very clear about this, right? That's not saying that anyone who leaves a church is the Antichrist. No, that's not it. No, some of those people leave churches for good reasons, like they move cities, uh, or they have uh, family needs, or any number of other reasons. But these antichrists have left for a very particular reason. It seems, that we'll see very soon, a very, very particular reason. But notice first that as we look at John's readers, we see they are very different. 
See, John's readers are not like the Antichrist, and you see that contrast really clearly in verses 20 and 21. Verse 20, but you, there's the contrast, but you have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you don't know the truth, but because you do know the truth, and because no lie comes from the truth. See, God, the Holy One, has given Christians His Holy Spirit. That's the anointing. Okay? That's the anointing. And it's the Spirit who helps us to believe the truth about Jesus. John's readers believe the truth about Jesus because the Holy Spirit has guided them into the truth and has helped them to hold on to the truth. And so to stay as part of God's people, to stay in the church, the Christian community. So in rejecting the community of God's readers, in leaving the church, the Antichrist were not just rejecting that community, they were rejecting the truth. And what's the truth that they were rejecting? Well, let's look at them again. Chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father, and whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. The Antichrist were rejecting the truth that Jesus is the Christ. Now, just to be clear, uh, Christ is a Greek word. Sometimes people use the word Messiah. It's the same word. In Greek, it's Christ. In Hebrew, it's Messiah. Same word, same idea, same thing. Okay? The Antichrists are Antichrists. They deny that Jesus is the Messiah, is the Christ. So what is it that they believe about Jesus? What do they think about Jesus? We're not really told. Maybe they think he's, you know, someone good. Someone a bit special. Maybe they think he brings enlightenment or knowledge of spiritual things. Maybe they think he's a prophet. Maybe they think he's an angel. Maybe they thought he was a ghost. We don't really know. But we do know that they don't think he's the Christ. They don't think he's the Messiah. They don't think he's God's chosen king who should and will rule over everything, including us. They don't believe that. <coughs> Which actually means I think they're like most Aussies. See, most Aussies believe in Jesus. They just don't believe in Jesus Christ. They believe Jesus is a nice person, quite inspiring, a happy hippie going around in a toga, but they don't believe he is Lord. He is King. He will rule over everything. But whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ denies not only Jesus, they deny the Father as well. That's what John says, isn't it? They deny the Father as well. So if we hold on to what we were taught, that Jesus is the Christ, we avoid the lie. But even more than that, believing the truth that Jesus is the Christ means we are in fellowship with God. That is both God the Son and God the Father. And true believers know the truth because they heard it 
from John. We just looked at chapter 1, verse 3. Look at it again. Chapter 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard, so that you almost may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, who? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. John has not just been telling us about Jesus. He's been telling us that Jesus is the Christ. See, Jesus' identity, Jesus being the King, is the key to our relationship with God. Our fellowship, our belonging, our belonging to God, and actually our belonging to each other as well. Jesus is the Christ means we have fellowship with God and one another. Jesus is the critical link. And not only that, come with me into chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1. Chapter 2, verse 1, the second half of verse 1 says this. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, someone who stands between us and God. Jesus who? Christ, the righteous one. See, Jesus' identity, Jesus being the Christ, is our key to forgiveness from God. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the rescuing King who gives us, who offers us forgiveness. So Jesus being the Christ, being the Messiah, God's King, is central to both our fellowship and our forgiveness. Do you see how critical this is? Do you see how important this is? The fact that Jesus is the Christ is central to the Bible's message and to true Christian faith. That's why John says it's so important to know that Jesus is God's Son, is the Christ, is the Messiah. For an error in knowing Christ is an error in knowing God. You can't know the Father without knowing the Son. You can't know the Father without honouring the Son. You can't worship the Father without worshipping the Son. See, that's why Muslims don't know God. Because they don't recognise that Jesus is the Christ. That's why Buddhists don't know God, because they don't honour Jesus as the Christ. That's why Orthodox Jews don't know God, because they don't honour Jesus as the Christ. And that's why the average Aussie doesn't know God, because they don't worship Jesus as the Christ. And that's why it's so important for us to keep sharing our faith with our friends, isn't it? They do have belief systems. They do have ways they think about life. They may even have a religion. But unless they know and believe that Jesus is the Christ, they don't know God. They don't have fellowship with the Father. They don't belong to God. It's so important that we share our faith with those around us. Yes, all of this sounds like Christian intolerance or arrogance or narrowness or exclusivity. All that stuff sounds bad. But it's true. It's what the Bible says. You can't know God without knowing Jesus Christ. You can't honour God without honouring Jesus Christ. You can't worship God without worshipping Jesus Christ. Christ. We need to be so clear on that, don't we? 
because now as then people keep telling us that Jesus Christ isn't Christ. He's just Jesus. Happy hippie wearing a token. It's a very popular idea that Jesus is a nice guy, a good teacher, an inspirational person in a way that's unthreatening and unchallenging, but also unamazing and unhelpful and untrue. We mustn't give up believing that Jesus in the Christ. That's why John says to us what he says next in verses 24 and 25. See, and 26 actually as well. See verse 24, as for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning, what John told us, remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. This is what he has promised us, eternal life. Verse 26, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. We must hold on to the message of Jesus, the truth about Jesus. And if that message, if that truth, if the gospel remains in us, then we remain in God. And anyone who has a relationship with God who remains in Him has eternal life. But there are false teachers in the world. Actually, there are quite a lot of false teachers in the world and sadly in the church. And they are trying to direct people away from believing the truth in Jesus, that Jesus is the Christ. So what we need to do is make sure we have the great truth, the truth that Jesus tells us, sitting heavily in our hearts and minds. What we need is, we need like an earworm. Do you know what an earworm is? You know those songs when you hear them once and like you can't get them out of your head? I have one, right? On Friday, I don't even know why, on Friday, this Spice Girl song, Spice Up Your Life, <laughs> entered into my head. And every night as I go to, to sleep, I hear it. And every morning as I wake up, I hear it. I can't even remember listening to it in the first place, right? But it's in my head. I don't like the Spice Girls and I don't like the song. But somehow it's drilled its way into my head. In a positive way. That's what we want the truth of Jesus to be, isn't it? That it drills itself into our minds. So that as we go to sleep, ah oh yeah, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is Lord. Thank you God, I'm going to sleep. And as we wake up the same. That it's an earworm, a, a mindworm, a heartworm that we deeply know and believe that Jesus is the Christ. We can't get it out of our heads. We can't get the truth out of our heads. It remains in us in a way that's wonderful. Verse 24 and 25 again. As for you, see that what you've heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us. Eternal life. And John has great confidence about his readers. Great confidence. So he says in verse 27, As for you, the anointing you have received from him, the Spirit, remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing, the Holy Spirit, teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, 
just as it has taught you, remain in Him. Now that is, we're being taught at this point, because we have the Holy Spirit, that is because we have the Holy Spirit bring to us John's words, helping us to believe John's words, knowing John's words, we don't need teachers. We actually don't need anyone to teach us any new truth. That's what false teachers do. They come with a new truth. That's what the, the Mormons did. That's what the Mormons do. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses did. That's what the Jehovah's Witnesses do. That's what any number of other cults that we meet on universities in, probably meet in the world. That's what they do. They bring a new truth. But John's already given us the truth, the true truth. The Spirit has guided us to believe it, has guided us to hold on to it. So we don't need any new teachers. You don't actually need me. I have been saying nothing new this weekend. So why do you need me? Why am I here? Good point. I'll be home. It's like actually having our wonderful cooks who cook for us all weekend. Do they cook for us because you don't have the ability to cook? No. They've just served us in doing the preparation for us, which is wonderful. Please make sure you thank them. Right? That's all our teachers do with the Bible. They just do the preparation for us. If you sat down and did the work, you'd work out everything I'm saying this weekend. No worries at all. You don't need me to teach you. You've got the Spirit. You've got the Word. You actually don't need teachers. But God wonderfully gives us teachers to do the, the preparation for us, to serve us, to help us in that way. What that means is, if someone asks you, uh, what's CPE like? What's, in fact, what's Iggy like as a preacher? Pay him the ultimate compliment and say, you know, with Iggy's preaching, he never says anything new. <laughs> Great preacher. Faithful teacher who never says anything new. No, beware of the teachers who say new things. Because if it's against what we've already been told, then nothing new is ever true. So I'm not telling you everything new, but what am I telling you? Remain in Him. Remain in Him. Remain in Jesus. Remain in Jesus Christ. Yesterday we were challenged to guard our hearts. That is, don't love the world, love God and His people. And today we're challenged to guard our minds. That is, to keep believing in Jesus. That He is the Christ. And now in the next major section, our last kind of section together, really, we're being told to guard our lives, that is to do what's right. To do what's right. Look at me if you would at chapter 2, verse 28. And now, dear children, continue in him, so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If we know that he is righteous, we know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. Now, as true believers, as true believers in Jesus Christ, we want to be ready to meet Jesus, don't we? When he returns. When he returns in his second coming. And the children of God, and as the children of God, we're to be prepared for that day by seeking to live a righteous life. To seeking to live rightly. 
That's because that's what our Father is like. Our Father is righteous. He is good and holy. He does what is right. And so is Jesus. He is good and holy. He does what is right. And so we as his people, as his children, should do what is right. Doing what is right, in a sense, is our birthmark. Is our family resemblance as the children of God. Now, I know we say children of God. You know, it's a, it's a kind of a lovely Christian thing to say, oh yes, we're children of God, but are we really children of God? Are we really? Yes. Yes, we are. See, have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. Isn't that great? Actually, in the, the old version, the King James translation, the King James version, it said, Behold what manner of love. Isn't that great word, behold? I really like it. It says, Would you take a look at the love of God? What is God's love like? How great is God's love? Here's what God's love is like. Though God should reject us because of our sin, He doesn't. He doesn't do that. No, no, no. Instead, He calls sinners like us His children. And why does He call us His children? Well, look at the next part of verse 1. And that is what we are. God calls us His children because we are His children. That is, God makes us His actual children by giving us new birth through faith in Jesus. God adopts us as His own. If you trust in Jesus, you've been adopted, you are a child of God. We are now members of the royal family of the universe. Do you get that? Don't worry about Liz and Phil and Charles and all that. No, we are the royal family of the universe. So if we're the royal family of the universe, why don't people bow to us in the street? You know, hail Prince Willis. <laughs> A nice ring to it, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. Yep. Hail, Princess Christine. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, yeah I like that. Why? Why doesn't that happen? Well, have a look at the last part of verse one, chapter three, verse one. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him, the Lord Jesus. It actually all makes sense, doesn't it? The world didn't recognise our big brother, Jesus, so they weren't recognise the family members, his family members, us. They didn't recognise that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, and so they can't recognise his little brothers and sisters, us. Do you get that? But that doesn't for a minute undercut who we are, because God knows. Because God in Christ made it happen. We are the children of God. Last uh, summer, Kathy and I got very briefly to go down to, to Melbourne to visit our families, most of whom live in Melbourne, uh, which was lovely in a kind of a COVID time. But of course, Melbourne's basically been in lockdown for the last 10 years, and so we, we haven't seen them all year. And we're really looking for looking forward to seeing them if we can. We're really hoping that kind of Melbourne unlocks sometime in the next decade, and, uh, and we can kind of go and see them. And I, I imagine some of us are saying, "Who hasn't seen family for like more than a year?" Yeah, who finds that really hard? Oh, okay, only about half those people. Okay. Uh, <laughs> 
And who, who's really looking forward to seeing family, like family reunion stuff? Yeah, exactly right. COVID's been a hard time. It's a really hard time. But I want to tell you that there's an even greater family reunion we're looking forward to. One that's coming that'll be even more wonderful than the wonderful thing that will happen. Something we should be looking forward to that really shapes our lives. So you look at how, how John describes it there in verse 2 and 3, chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, face to face. All who have this hope in them purify themselves, just as he is pure. Jesus will appear. We will be like him, and we will be with him. We are looking forward to the great family reunion. And so we purify ourselves, that is, we live a pure life, we seek to live a pure life, to be ready to see Jesus. The hope of seeing Jesus helps us to look forward to that day and live for that day. Live like that day is coming. Live faithful and pure lives because Jesus will appear. But we don't just look forward even. We also look back. See, look at this. Look at verse 4 and 5 and 6. Verse 4, everyone who breaks the law, in fact, uh, sorry, uh, every, everyone who sins breaks the law, in fact, sins lawlessness. But you know that when he appeared, so that he appeared, so that he might make, take our sins away. And in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or known him. See, looking back helps us to stop sinning. Helps us to, have an, to not have an uninterrupted life of sin. You know, that deliberate sin, that unrepentant sin that denies the work of Jesus. But Jesus came to take away our sins. That is to bring forgiveness and to stop us from sinning. And so we need to do that, don't we? We need to stop sinning. We've talked about that already. We need to stop sinning. We need to turn from our sins, whether that's the sin of revenge or gossip or self-indulgence, whether it's secret idolatry or lust or porn, whether it's envy or jealousy or entertaining feelings of superiority. Any of those things whether it's greed or treating people badly, we need to leave those things behind. Because Jesus came into the world to take away our sins. So we need to stop living in them. The truth of what Jesus has done in dealing with our sin leads to us dealing with our sin. That is what he has done for us in his death on the cross we now echo in doing in our lives. We follow Jesus in rejecting sin. And to decide against that, to decide to live in sin, is to follow someone very different. So you have a look at verse 8. 
the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, which rhymes really nicely, but is terrible. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed, that is God's word, God's spiritual genetics, remain in them. They cannot go on sinning because they have been born of God. Jesus came to destroy, notice this, the devil's work, which is, uh, the devil's work is leading people into sin and away from God. But Jesus comes to lead people away from sin and to God. Jesus came to declare war on sin and the devil. To deal with it all. And so, we hear those words that no one who is born of God will continue to sin. Because God's seed remains in them. They cannot go on sinning. Because they've been born of God. John's saying it just doesn't make any sense to sin. It's incongruous. It doesn't, isn't logical. God's child has no natural connection with sin. It's who we used to be, but not who we are. Actually, as God's children, it's unnatural to sin. You can't do it. It doesn't make sense. It's stupid, illogical, out of character, inconsistent with who you are. Do you hear what John's saying? Don't sin because you're the child of God. Stop it. Now, please don't hear John saying that if you sin at all, you're not a child of God. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about that persistent, unrepentant, deliberate sin, choosing to live a life of sin. You will, like all of us, like me, sin. But remember, in chapter 1, we keep turning to God, we keep turning to Jesus for forgiveness. But just because we've been forgiven doesn't mean we can live in sin. No, we turn from sin. To say it differently, <clears throat> we are, when we think about sin, we know that we aren't what we should be. And we certainly aren't what one that we will be. But we're being changed. We aren't what we used to be. And we're becoming what we should be. Even as sin lingers in our lives, we push against it. We reject it. We try to learn to do what's right. We turn to live like our we learn to live like our father. John warns us very strongly. He says to us in verse 10, This is how we know who the children of God are. And who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Or let's put it more positively. Verse 7. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous, just as he, God, Jesus, is righteous. Now, of course, Jesus has made us righteous, hasn't he? By sacrificial death. He's given us the gift of righteousness, a right relationship with himself. But that righteousness is to be lived out in righteousness, that is, in right living. 
We need to live out what we've been given. Live out God's gift. Live God's way. So let me ask you, will you do that? Will you seek and strive to live God's way, to do what's right? Will you live God's way even if it costs you? Will you do what's right even if it costs you relationships? Will you live God's way even if it costs you your pride? Will you live God's way and do what's right even if it costs you comfort? Will you do what's right and live God's way even if one day it costs you your life? Will you have that real, deep, enduring righteousness of life in every area of life, in your words and actions, your thoughts and your feelings? That's what God's children are like. We look like God because we do what's right. We are righteous. And so we seek to live as righteous. Well, brothers and sisters, we believe the truth. And we must keep believing the truth about Jesus, that he is the Christ. And we need to keep believing the truth of what he's done. He has come. He has come. He has dealt with our sin and he has dealt with the devil. And we need to believe what he will do. He will return. And so because of what we believe, we belong. We belong to God. We have fellowship with, with God the Father, with Jesus the Son, and with each other. And because we belong, there are ways we need to behave. We need to keep living as His people, living transformed lives, obeying God, living the right way, living His way. Friends, let's continue to do what's right so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. Let's strive to do that. And let's ask for his help. Let's pray. Our dear Father, we thank you so much that you tell us what's the truth. You tell us that Jesus is indeed the Christ. So please help us to believe that now and always. We thank you so much because you've given us the truth and guided us by your spirit into faith. We belong. Help us to believe deep in our hearts and minds that we really are your children. And so because of what we believe and because we belong, please help us to behave, to do what's right, to stop sinning, to live like you. Please do all these great things we ask in Jesus' name.